at Romans 8. We're going to be in verses 9 to 30, and I'm going to read it for us in a minute. But just to remind you, we're working our way through the whole of Romans chapter 8 this summer. And it is this epic chapter we've been talking about. Just this um, chapter in the middle of this wonderful letter that Paul writes that is just loaded with truth after truth after truth. Each verse brings us something fresh, a real reminder of who we are in Christ. And that's the, the title that we've given this series is This Is Who You Are. If you're a Christian this morning, you're going to be reminded of a particular aspect of who you are because you are in Christ. That's the, the repeated uh, kind of couple of words that we keep on hearing through this letter is in Christ or in the Spirit. Paul wants to really affirm and confirm to the believers and in Rome and by extension to the believers in this room this morning that you are people if you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God dwells in you. And we started out Romans 8, if you were with us a few weeks ago, with Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which we said was probably, possibly the most important truth that humanity needs to hear. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation, there is no judgment from God for your sin coming towards you, hanging over you, waiting for you, if you are found in Christ. None. And we could have maybe stopped there and just done eight weeks on that one verse, but but Paul goes on in the rest of Romans chapter 8. And it's helpful that he does, because even though that message of no condemnation for Christians is the most joyous news that we can hear is the most wonderful news that we can hear. The reality that, that there is no judgment for our sin, no condemnation for our sin, no wrath coming to us for our sin because Jesus has already taken it. That good news, as wonderful as it is, if we don't address the issue of the sin which we still contend with, then there is a tension there. Because the reality is, If you're a Christian, you probably know you're standing before Christ. You know there is no condemnation, but you know the real and present wrestle of sin. My guess would be all of us this week have felt that wrestle, have felt that struggle of sin. Probably in the last 24 hours, maybe some of us, even today, this morning, we have felt that struggle with sin. What are we to do with that? What are we to do with this epic truth that there's no condemnation, there's no judgment. We have been freed from the penalty of our sin. We've been freed by the power of our sin, by the power and person of the Holy Spirit. What are we to do with that and holding at the same time the reality? Remember back in Romans 7, we talked about Paul talking about this tension that he feels where he does the, the things that he doesn't want to do and he does not do the things that he, he does want to do. That tension of this, this, this constant struggle with sin. What are we to do with that? Well, the same Paul that writes about that struggle also writes about the the remedy, how we work through it. And we find it this morning in our passage, verses 9 to 13. I'm going to read. I'm actually going to start in verse 8, just to give us a bit of context. And then I'll read through to verse 13. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let me read that again, verse 13. That's the key verse for us this morning. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, and if you underline in your Bibles, underline those three words, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The call is clear, folks. If you want to be free of that struggle that we feel with sin, Paul says, God says through his word, through Paul to us this morning, if you want to be free from that struggle, we need to put our sin to death. We know that that sin robs us of our joy. We know that sin deceives us. We know that sin kind of comes at us and, and tempts us, but never satisfies us. And so Paul says, the call is clear. Put it to death. Put your sin to death. The call is clear. So why do we so often ignore it? Why do we ignore that call to put our sin to death? Why do we let sin linger? Why do we let sin kind of have a, have a foothold? Why do we entertain it? Why do we resist putting our sin to death so often? Well, I think the first reason is often we don't kill our sin because we don't see how harmful it is. Maybe we don't see how much it's going to harm us. Elizabeth and I, when we were younger, were involved in a ministry helping sex workers in the city centre. And one of the most harrowing experiences that we shared when we were going and help these ladies was seeing the transformation in them over the months and over the years. Young girls coming in their early teens and they come and their ambition was just to make a little bit of money and then they'd get out of it, they'd walk away from it. They just need a little bit to tie them over. They weren't gonna, this wasn't gonna be a lifestyle for them. And they come and one of the most, one of the most um, depressing and harrowing things was seeing, seeing it just take hold of them. And possess them and own them. And seeing these beautiful young ladies over the months and years being ravaged by this this work that they called and this work that they presumed it was going to be. Being destroyed emotionally and physically and mentally. And ultimately being unable to escape it. They were oblivious to the harm. They just walked into it thinking, yeah, we can just do this for a little bit. It will tie us over for a little bit. And it grabbed hold of them and it wouldn't let them go. They were oblivious to the harm of what was before them. Folks, just like we are sometimes with our sin. But can I tell us, we needn't be. We needn't be oblivious to the harm of our sin because the word of God tells us, it shows us what we need to avoid. Really clearly it says, these things are bad, don't, don't indulge in these things, go, don't go near these things. It literally lists them out for us. In various places in the Bible, like literally God says, don't do this, 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 this or this. Keep away from these things because they will harm you. Galatians chapter 5, which if you want to do a little bit more homework on Romans 8, read Galatians 5 and read Romans 8. It's as if Paul's written them at the same time. Incredible just how they mirror each other. But in Romans chapter 5, Paul gives one of those lists. He says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, orgies, and the like. That's not a word I wanted to say twice. And the like. And Paul puts, and the like at the end there, just in case we're like, oh yeah, but he didn't say, and Paul's like, no, and all of that other stuff as well. 
And maybe kind of your, I don't know, there may be a case where you're engaging in something or about to engage in something and you're like, I just don't see in the Bible, I don't see clearly in the Bible that God says this is right or wrong. Like, I don't know whether it's right or wrong to, to watch this film with that level of nudity, or I don't know whether it's right or wrong to spend this amount of time scrolling through my phone. Like, how much is too much? And, and right enough, in the Bible, it doesn't say anything about that. So here's a good test. Instead of asking yourself, is this bad? Ask yourself, is it good? When that thing is in front of you and you're not sure, ask yourself, could I, could I honestly ask God to bless what I'm about to do? Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians in his first letter, says this. So wherever, whenever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If there's any doubt before you enter into that thing, whatever it's going to be, if there's any doubt within you that that will not please God, then don't do it. Any doubt, just don't do it. I think often we don't kill our sin because we don't see how harmful it is, but I want to encourage us the word of God helps us to see and trains us to be able to see what is good and what is not. I think the second reason often we don't kill our sin is because we think we can control it. And in um, Kidderminster, there's a, a safari park, West Midlands Safari Park, and it's got lots of interesting enclosures there. But there was one enclosure last year that was particularly interesting, the wild dogs enclosure. And um, when we say wild dogs, like, don't think of, like, you walk through Sefton Park, there's wild dogs in there. Not those kind of wild dogs. Like, these are the kind of wild dogs that should be roaming around on, like, African savannas in packs hunting. Like, these are dangerous dogs. And that's what they would do. They would kind of hunt in packs and they would um, and catch their prey and, and they would, they're, they're a savage kind of creature. But in this safari park in Kidderminster, they're kept enclosed in a cage away from the other animals and just to kind of um, uh, satisfy their appetite for the kill every week they'd throw in a few entrails or whatever the butcher had left and, and allow them to feast on a bit of meat and all was well until and you can see where this is going uh, last year during one of the winter storms Storm Chiara a, a tree it was blown over on top of the en- enclosure and it fell on top of one of the fences and in the middle of the night these 12 wild dogs escaped. And they did what you imagine they would do. They did exactly what wild dogs would do. They went straight for the deer enclosure. The deer are kind of happily roaming out and unbeknownst to them, there are are wild dogs heading towards them and they did what you'd expect them to do. The zookeepers came in the morning and it was carnage. 13 deers just dead across the park, blood everywhere. A lot of mess to clean up. Folks, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we can control our sin. Don't think that we can keep our sin in order or fence it in or tame it or manage it. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're doing that, if we're trying to control our sin and just kind of maintain it and look after it, if that is what we're doing, like the only reason we do that is because we don't want it to go. We don't actually want to kill it. We want to keep it there just for that other, that time where we might need it again. We like it around. We like the power that it gives us or the feeling of superiority or satisfaction that it gives us. And so we convince ourselves that it's not actually as dangerous as we think it might be. 
Listen again to what Paul said in verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. John Owen, who was one of my favourite dead theologians, died a few hundred years ago. He puts it like this. He says, Romans 8.13 is like saying this. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I want to be really clear for us this morning, folks. If there is sin in your life that you are knowingly participating in and you have no desire to put it to death, if you are happy for it to, to stay there and even you might just keep it in this cage for a while but it's still there and you are happy to keep it around, if that is true for you, then that sin will rob you of your life here and into eternity. And you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but I'm a Christian, I've got eternal life. Let me be clear, Christians struggle with sin and they put it to death. They do not entertain it and they do not build a home for it. That is not what the Christian does. So put your sin to death. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And here is how you do it. with ruthlessness and remembrance. Two encouragements in the passage here, ruthlessness and remembrance. In verse 13, that that phrase, put to death, in old language, it's this word mortify, which uh, we've kind of changed the meaning of it, but mortify literally means to remove with total violence. That's a bit more of an illustrative word, isn't it? To remove with total violence. That is what God is saying that we we should be doing by the Spirit with our sin, with the, the deeds of the flesh, not just to keep them in that cage, but to remove them with total violence. Christians don't play games with sin. We don't wean ourselves off sin. We wage a violent war against it. That is what we do. John Stott, another dead theologian, um, not as dead as, as uh, John Owen, but, but um, still wonderful what he says. He says this, if temptation comes to us through what we see, handle or visit, then we must be ruthless in not looking, not touching and not going. We'd be ruthless against our sin, folks. And mortification, putting our sin to death, being ruthless against our sin, it isn't easy. It is painful, but it leads to life. We know with any disease that takes over our body, any disease that we are contending with, a physical disease, the process of removing it is painful, isn't it? Like often the the medicine that we have to take has side effects that that we don't like or, or the operation that we have to undergo, it's painful in our body or the treatment that we have to undergo in order to remove that disease. It torments us, it's painful, but we do it because we want to have life. We want to be led to life and joy and peace. And so we undergo that painful work in order to receive it. And so I ask us this question this morning. Where do you need to be ruthless with sin in your life? Even though it might be painful, where do you need to take that ruthless action in putting your sin to death? And for some of us, that ruthless action, the ruthlessness starts with just a ruthless kind of honesty. Like actually coming to God and being honest to God about your sin. Confessing to God. God, I'm struggling with this and I need your help. Or confessing to another brother and sister in Christ, being ruthless in your honesty, being willing just to take a a knock to your pride and feel the pain with your pride. But being ruthless against your sin in being honest about your sin and knowing this, that in 1 John 1, 
verse 9, we know that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. Maybe that's where some of us need to start this morning, being ruthless in our honesty. Maybe some of us need to be ruthless and, and that, that taking the form of cutting things out or putting things in place in our life. Maybe some of us need to stop watching certain TV programs. Maybe some of us need to stop reading certain books or unfollowing certain people on social media. Maybe some of us need to stop going to certain places, either physical or metaphorical places. Maybe some of us need to put into practice some things in order to be ruthless against our sin. Going to bed earlier, uh, uh, keeping away from times of isolation, praying proactive prayers of protection and strength before temptation creeps up. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 30. If there is a part of you that is causing you to sin, what does he say? Cut it off. That's ruthless. Maybe that's what some of us need to do, folks to literally cut out some activity in our life and take the ruthless action in order to be free of the struggle with our sin. And and can I just remind us, that bit that maybe we underlined before, we don't do this on our own, we do this with the help of the Spirit. Paul says, if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. We don't fight against sin on our own. Like, we are no match for sin. We know that on our own. Sin is more powerful than us. And trying to just discipline ourselves into fighting against sin. Trying to build up our own strength to fight against sin. Trying to have the the intellect or read the books or do anything on our own strength to fight against sin. We will never win. It is like standing before before the, the most vicious armies of the world and shaking a little stick at them. We have no hope. And that is why we do it by the Spirit. Sin is no match for us, folks, but it is. Match for the Spirit, and the Spirit will, by His power, put to death the deeds of our flesh. So, here's an encouragement for you make the first prayer of your day a prayer to ask the Holy Spirit to do that work. I've shared this before with you, but I try and do that each day as much as I can, literally, to make the first, the first words that are kind of said in my mind is, Father, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Asking him to lead all that you do throughout that day. The early church kind of got this, this idea of waging war against our sin with the, with the help of the Spirit. Paul talks uh, about metaphorically beating his body into submission. Like he took this seriously, he waged war. The Apostle James talks about resisting the devil. Like they, they took a foot forward and they didn't just sit back with apathy and expect sin to go. They waged war against it. Like we cannot sit back and just expect that sin will miraculously disappear. Early, um, early in the 90s, there was this fitness craze. Um, Alan, you might remember it. Um, uh, the, the Slender Tone. It's still around, but when it first came out, the Slender Tone. The Slender Tone was this promise of, um, of the, the, the fit body, the, the standout abs, um, just the body that, that we all dream of. It was that kind of promise. And it literally... I remember when they came out, you'll remember this, guys. Like, you could be like this, this kind of fat geezer and put this slender tone belt on and all would be well. You just press the button and it would work for you. And I remember like some of the parents um, and when I was at school, like they had these things and it just wouldn't work. And they've revised their marketing strategy now to say it, it works, but only in combination with exercise and, and diet and 
doing all these other things. It will work. I know some of you have um, felt the benefits of such belts um, in the room this morning. But you have to do both. You can't just sit there on your couch. And this was the picture they described. I could sit there on my couch, eat my kebab, drink my beer while this belt is doing the work. That doesn't work. Folks, we cannot just sit back and be apathetic and maybe just pray the prayer and expect our sin to miraculously disappear. We need to fight with the Spirit. We need to resist with the Spirit. And we need to be ruthless. But fighting on its own will never be enough. That quote from John Stott before, he goes on to say this, we should be ruthless, but positively we are to set our minds on the things the Spirit desires. Set our hearts on things above and occupy our thoughts with what is noble, what is right, what is pure, and what is lovely. Here's what he's saying. Yes, be ruthless. Yes, take up the fight. Yes, wage war. Yes, say no to sin, but also say yes to God. Be ruthless against your sin. Expect to see sin being put to death. But you do this fundamentally through remembrance if you look back at the passage look down at verse 12 you'll see that verse 12 starts with so then so then is one of those bridging words or phrases it's like saying therefore Paul is saying in verse 12 he kind of calls us to put our sin to death and and as he does that he says therefore therefore put your sin to death So in light of what I've just told you, in light of the truth that you will see in verses 9, 10, and 11, in light of that, put your sin to death. Paul is calling us to remember. And then in verse 12 and 13, he's saying, in light of what we remember, mortify the flesh. Put our sin to death. What does he want us to remember? Well, firstly, in verse 9, he wants the church in Rome to remember who they are. And they needed that reminder. The church in Rome, folks, they were under immense pressure for being Christians. Immense pressure to compromise into the culture of the day. And Paul is assuring them, even though you might feel the pull towards the world, even though you are still sinning, remember, you belong to Christ. So he says, you, however, are not in the flesh. This is who you are. You are in the spirit. You have the spirit of God dwelling in you. You did once live a life in the flesh and that that road that you were walking led towards death, but now you are living a life in the spirit and that life leads to life. The life that you once lived was crucified with Christ. It is literally dead and gone and Paul is reminding them that is who you are. That's the first reminder, you are in Christ. The power and the penalty of your sin is gone. Secondly, in verse 10, he reminds them of how this new life came about. He says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. All of our bodies, folks, all of our bodies, unless Jesus returns, will one day return to dust. We will all physically die. Hopefully that's not new news to any of us. Hopefully we we knew that that's what's going to happen. We are all going to die physically. What about our spiritual life? The Bible is clear that at that point of physical death, our spirit and our soul continue eternally. And we've already seen in chapter 8, we've seen those two paths that, that will be walked by everyone. 
if you aren't in Christ, the prognosis over your spiritual life is eternal death. Like if you were to hook up an ECG machine to your spiritual life, it would be flatline. Spiritually dead. And you will suffer under the, the punishment and the penalty, the condemnation for your sin for eternity. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, even though this body might feel like it's fallen apart, Romans 8 says you are truly alive. Spiritually, you are alive. The ECG is doing this. It's showing signs of life. And that is a prognosis that nothing can change. Nothing with the physical can change that. Growing old doesn't change that. Cancer does not change that. Disease does not change that. Physical addictions do not change that. Eating disorders do not change that. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you have eternal life. That is your spiritual position for now and for all eternity. And because we kind of like to look for the the get out clauses, the the yes but, Paul makes it clear in verse 10 that, that what kind of keeps your spiritual life intact is not you. It's Christ. It's Christ's righteousness that keeps you there. Do you see that in verse 10? Christians are redeemed by Jesus' finished work at the cross. At the cross, our penalty for sin is taken by Jesus and we in exchange are given his righteousness and we are justified in the sight of God. If you have the Spirit, you have life because of the work that Christ has already done at the cross. Paul is reminding the believers in Rome and for us this morning, the spiritual life that we have, that is a gift from God. It is grace is purchased by the death of Jesus and it is guaranteed by his righteousness. Paul is reminding them, helping them to remember this is who you are. This is how the new life that you have came about. And finally, he turns their heads towards the future in verse 11. He says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul is shifting their focus towards the grace to be shown to us at our resurrection. See, in Paul's day, the body was bad and the spirit was good. And that's a similar sentiment that is held in our culture um, today as well. The body is bad. We want to kind of dispense with the body. We can do what we want with the body, but the spirit, our kind of spiritual essence is good. But that is not how the gospel sees things. Gospel sees that actually our bodies will be one day made new by the Spirit. Our physical bodies, our flesh and bones will be made new by the Spirit. A glorious future awaits those who are in Christ. Paul says the same Spirit that raised Jesus' physical body will one day raise ours too. That day is coming for those who are in Christ. I haven't got time to do a whole theology of bodily resurrection, but let me just say this. It's coming. If you are in Christ, this body will be made new. No more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more loss, no more decay. If you are in Christ, you will be made new. Verse 9 to 11, Paul is saying, remember. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what has been done for you by Christ. And remember what is prepared for you with Christ. And then in verse 12, he says, So then, therefore, in light of those things, because of the grace shown to you, brothers and sisters, put your sin to death. Be done with it. 
Be ruthless against it. It's as if Paul is bringing us to the place where we ask this question. If this is what God has done for me, if this is who I am in Christ, and if this is where I am heading, is this really how I should respond in this moment? Folks, be ruthless and remember. Remember the grace that has been shown to us finished work of the cross and in all that is promised to us in our future resurrection and put your sin to death with the help of the spirit